welcome TLC. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, to Sunday worship. It's good to have you guys. It is good. It's good, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. If you guys didn't know, uh, Jeremiah and I, we've been gone to Vietnam for the past, uh, uh, I think, 11 days. It was great. We had a lot of things to share, a lot of awesome stuff. But first, before I get into that, let's give it up for the legends of TLC, right? All right, give it up. If you guys don't know what the legends of TLC are, let me give you guys a little background on this real fast, right? Every so often, we have a group of brothers and sisters who, for a year, mentally prepare. That's it. They just mentally prepare for a course called Tough Mother, and it's like a multi-mile, multi-obstacle course that they go through, right? I love Tough Mother. The reason why I love it so much is I feel like it is the very... Um, real-life example of our church in reaching for the Lord, you know? Let me tell you, let me tell you why. It's, it's like everyone is in their own stage of life, right? And everyone needs to get to the finish line. And no matter how hard we do it, step by step, we eventually we get there, right? It could be three hours. It could be six hours. But it could be one hill. It could be 20 hills. But eventually we get there. So, you know, give it up for uh, the people who did tell us the mother this year, right? There was a running joke that, you know, you have to do Tough Mother if you want to marry one of our sisters. But, uh, you know, we got a few people breaking that rule. I don't know who's... who's <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, let's see. I just got back from Vietnam. You guys didn't know. It was, it was a great trip, guys. It was uh, one of the things that I, that I thought was very precious about Vietnam uh, when I was there is that people actually, they really care for lost souls. I mean, like, I know that sounds kind of silly to Christians. But they like, you, you really sense that, you know. And as I was going with that, I just kept asking the question, like, what, what do you want us to help with if we're, if we're here? And they said, you know what, the fact that you speak English is like the greatest thing in the world. I was like, really? Was like, yes. The fact that you speak English opens so many doors for us to preach the gospel through. And so, you know, I'm, I, was, I was really excited about that and was excited about finding a lot of different ministries, met a lot of different people. Um, worship out there was beautiful. And so... Uh, I'm excited to see what God's going to be doing with us, for us, or through us this coming summer for, uh, for Vietnam. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We're going to be forming a team very, very soon. If you guys have uh, some thoughts and you're praying about it, let me know. Okay. All right. You know, uh, let, me, uh, let me share with you guys what we're going to be talking about for the next two weeks as we are ushering in Easter. Okay. As we're ushering Easter, I want, I want to give you guys kind of a... Um, a time of preparation. You guys know Mardi Gras in Louisiana, the Mardi Gras, right? It's like one of that, it's that time where they're supposed to go crazy, right? So that way, right after that, it's Ash Wednesday, right? Ash Wednesday is when they get all like holy again and kind of usher in the season they call Lent, what we call Lent, a season of reflection. And in the season of reflection, the, the goal of it, as you are culminating these reflections towards Easter, the, the goal of these reflections is for you to sit and ask yourself the question, why am I resisting God? You see, like, if Easter is the celebration of the resurrection of God, of Jesus Christ, a man coming back from the dead, if, if Easter is the celebration of a supernatural event like that, then why am I resisting God? If someone has come back from the dead, and if God is who he's, if Jesus is who he says he is, 
then if he's able to come back from the dead, then everything that he has spoken about, everything that's about him is true. And everything he has spoken of through the word becomes true. So in this time of reflection, the question is, why are we resisting God? And we're going we're gonna to go through this kind of like um, mental exercise, right, uh, by looking at two character, character cases. Each week I'm going to do one, one character. I call them the bad boys of Easter, right? And what we're going to see is that we're going to see each of these individuals, they, they have an agenda before Jesus. They have a, uh, an agenda that they are clinging to before Christ, instead of Christ. And what we're going to realize is that something about that agenda is forcing them to resist who Jesus is. And as they begin to resist, I want to share with you guys, because their story is kind of like our story. We are constantly resisting. Instead of actually surrendering, if Jesus Christ came back from the dead, shouldn't that not be automatic in our hearts that we should surrender to who he is? Right? If he came back from the dead, a dead man rising again, who he said he was going to rise, should it not change the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel, the way we engage in the world? Should it not change that? And the reason why we don't is because there is resistance in our hearts. And we're going to look at a character case of someone who resists Jesus because there's something in his life that he is holding on to so much more. And we're going to see why this resistance is futile. That even though he resists and even though he thinks he can get all that he wants, we're going to realize, we're going to see that his resistance is futile. And we're going to learn that ultimately our resistance to God is futile. Because this season, guys, I don't want you guys to kind of go through another Easter season. Easter is the greatest holiday in the Christian calendar, right? It is the biggest holiday in the Christian calendar because it marks the resurrection of our Lord. It marks the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, it is the foundation of everything we build on. If the resurrection didn't happen, everything we're talking about, everything that we're doing is totally useless. But if, if this is true... If he did come back from the dead, then it ought to change our lives. It ought to just transform us completely. Because if a dead man can rise from the dead, and everything that he has said, spoken, and done, it means something. Everything that he said about you means something. The purpose, the sin, there is punishment, there is life everlasting, there is, it means something. And it should not be taken lightly. You guys follow me? Okay? So the first bad boy of Easter that we're we'll talking about today, right, is my brother, or not my brother, but this dude, right, named Joseph Caiaphas. Can I show a picture of him? You guys have the picture of him up here? Joseph Caiaphas. Joseph Caiaphas. Let me, let me break down this guy's background for you guys, okay, to let you guys understand what this is. Because the, the heart of this is there's something about Caiaphas that he is constantly holding on to that's resisting God. Instead of surrendering, he resists. And we're going to find out how his life of resistance ultimately is going to be futile. And how we can learn that if we constantly resist, it ends up being futile as well. You guys follow me? 
Okay? Joseph Caiaphas. Now, this guy is not actually him. Okay? This is just a rendition of him from the movie Passion of the Christ. But Caiaphas, who is he? He was the high priest during the time of Jesus. Now, this position is like, it's bad. It's a, it's a, it's a top dog position. Okay? He is the most influential person in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Israel. He, he is the dude where he is the bridge between Israel and Rome. He is the middleman between Israel and uh, uh, the governor of uh, Jerusalem and the governor that's ruling over that time. He is the guy who speaks for the people to Rome. And on top of not only having influence and power being such a top position, his family, his family is a dynasty of high priests. Not a dynasty of the NBA dynasty, but a dynasty of high priests. His father was a high priest. His five brother-in-law were high priests. And he is a high priest. So for 40 years, this family ruled the temple. For 40 years, this family were the most influential family and powerful family in Jerusalem. And the reason why they had so much influence and so much power is because the amount of wealth that flowed into Jerusalem. See, once a year, a couple times a year, people from all over the world, all Jews from all over the world, would gather in Jerusalem. And they would come to worship God. And as they came to worship God, they would pay what we call a temple tax. And as they pay that temple tax, millions of dollars is flowing through the temple. So these guys were influential. They were powerful because of their wealth. The temple was their cash cow. The temple was their place of influence and power. To lose the temple was to lose their power and their influence. And they liked being on top. They liked being the middle man. They liked being the top dog. They liked being the bridge between their people and Rome. And Caiaphas' life was pretty, it was pretty extraordinary. It was pretty awesome. And it was pretty good. He lived a pretty good life until a carpenter turned rabbi to step into the scene. All right? Caiaphas was doing pretty good for himself and all of his family, the dynasty of his family. They were doing great for themselves until a carpenter turned rabbi stepped into the scene. And we know this carpenter as Jesus, not Christ. I mean, he is Christ, but Christ is not his last name, right? We don't, we don't do that. If, we, if you believe that Jesus Christ is his last name, we have failed you as, as a church. Right? Christ is the title. Jesus, the son of Joseph. Jesus, Joseph's son, right? When Jesus showed up, he messed everything up, right? Can you give me the next slide? When Jesus showed up, he became a problem to Caiaphas because why? Wherever Jesus went, there was a posse. Wherever Jesus went, he gathered crowds. Wherever Jesus went, people followed. Wherever Jesus went, people congregate. And Caiaphas, the Jewish leaders, did not like crowds. Do you know why? Because crowds create threats. Crowd becomes threats because crowds can mean insurrection. Crowds can create uh, civil war. Crowd can create division. Crowd can become a problem to the Jewish leaders because they can turn against the Jewish leaders. See, wherever Jesus went, crowds follow him. Caiaphas never brought a crowd like that. You guys know that? People came to Caiaphas once or twice a year before the festivals that they had to listen to him because he was high priest. But he never commanded such a crowd. He never commanded such a gathering. He never commanded such loyalty among people. And so when Jesus showed up, he was a problem to the leaders. 
This guy is going to cause attention. He's going to stir problems, and people are going to come in, and they're going to screw everything up. Everything was good for Caiaphas. Everything was great until a, rabbi, until a carpenter turned rabbi stepped into the scene. Jesus was a problem because he attracted a crowd. But secondly, second slide, Jesus was a problem because when he spoke, he spoke with authority. When he spoke, he wasn't just throwing off words here, right? People, they didn't worry. Listen, guys, Caiaphas, he had a lot of crazy people walking around all the time shouting nonsense. He wasn't worried about that. He was worried because when Jesus spoke, there was power in that. When Jesus spoke, people were thinking, like, who is this guy? When Jesus spoke, they were thinking, like, who do you think you are? Jesus walks into the temple one time, and he literally flipped the tables. Jesus, when Jesus comes, he flipped the temples with all the money changes because why? That's where the people were paying their taxes, and they were exchanging money, and they were being cheated to worship God, and he was pissed, and so he, he went crazy in the temple courts, stopping the flow of money. And so Caiaphas sends his goons down, and he says, hey, yo, they asked Jesus, Jesus, who, they didn't ask him, what do, you, what do you think you're doing, Jesus? They asked him, who do you think you are? What authority do you have to come and do this? Because they were shocked by it. How could this guy do this? They were shocked by his authority, okay? So he spoke with authority. Every time Jesus showed up, he, he attracted the crowd. Every time Jesus showed up, he became a problem because his words of authority caused everyone to stir. And thirdly, when Jesus showed up, next slide, when Jesus showed up, he caused a problem because he was very critical of Jewish leaders. You know, you always see those signs of people like, uh, like you know, in campuses like, repent or else you're going to hell. You ever see those signs, right? And you think like those people are like kind of like they're doing what Jesus did. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus never told anyone to go to hell. He warned about hell, but there was only one group of people he actually said that you're going to hell. He, there was one group of people that he actually pointed his finger at and said, you're going to hell. And he said it to the Jewish leaders. He said, you guys are snakes. You're vipers. How can you escape being condemned to hell? He says, you're going to hell. Not, not to non-believers, not even to sinners. He, never, he warned, but he never said to them. The only person he ever condemned, the only group, were the religious people. Is that crazy? Do you guys realize that when Christ comes back, judgment is not going to be in the world first. Judgment is going to be in the church first. He is going to look. Jesus was such a problem. Because to the Jewish leaders, people who felt themselves worthy because they were religiously pure, they did all they were supposed to do. They fasted, they prayed, they did their Bible reading, they did all of that stuff. And Jesus says, you snake, you viper, you're going to hell. Intense. Intense. And so this situation, you guys feel like the situation has been building. The longer Jesus is around, the more intensified the situation is getting. It builds and it builds and it builds, right? Jewish leaders are pissed. Caiaphas is pissed, but it keeps building. Crowds keep showing up. Jesus keeps speaking with authority. He keeps condemning Jewish leaders. Everywhere he went, you know, he says, like, you guys are healed, you're going to hell, right? He says, you guys are great, you're going to hell, right? It's like it's, it just builds and builds and builds until Jesus did something that pissed the leaders off so badly that they said, we have to kill him. 
He didn't say something. He actually did something. He did something so bad that it pissed the leaders up to a point where they said, we're going to kill this Jesus. You know what he did? He raised someone from the dead. He brought someone back from the dead. A dude that we, name, we know as who? Lazarus. This act of bringing a dude back from the dead, it took the Jewish leaders over the top. They were saying, man, after he did that, can you imagine, like, if you were, if you were back then, there were, like, hype men going, like, walking around. They're like, oh, my God, have you seen what Jesus did? He brought this, whole, he was dead. I saw him on the ground. Bam, he's walked out of the tomb. He's alive, right? And, he, and guess what happened? People were walking around, they're hyping this up, and it gathered more crowds. It gathered more and more. Instead of actually diminishing the crowds, it got crazier. It got bigger. It got more intense. And people were just saying, Jesus, keep talking. Please, there's something about you. You brought someone back from the dead. Because when you bring someone back from the dead, your next response is, I should pay attention to you. Y'all follow? Right? If, If you can bring someone back from the dead, your next natural response should be, I need to get in line and listen to what you have to say. But the Jewish leader said what? We're going to kill him. They resisted. They were mad because their strategy towards Jesus was failing. You know what their strategy was? Their strategy towards Jesus was to discredit him before the crowd. But every time he did something, they would step in and say, well, Jesus, you know, like... What do you say about this? You know, and Jesus comes back, takes them out with his verbal, you know, jujitsu, and they're just like, they walk away looking dumb, right? They'll come in and they'll be like, yeah, this lady, she's an adulterer. What are you going to do about it? And he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody just walked away. They wanted to discredit Jesus, but they could not. They wanted to get the crowd to no longer follow him, but they could not. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it broke the camel's back. And they said, we have to kill Jesus. Go to John chapter 12, verse 17, 19. I'm just going to set up the tension here for you guys real fast so that we get into our passage. But John chapter 12, verse 17 to 19. John 12, 17 to 19. This is what it says. It says, now the crowd that was with him, that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, that crowd continued to spread the word. So that what? Verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. What is this? Us trying to discredit Jesus is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world is going after Jesus. You see, these, these, these leaders, these teachers, these Pharisees, these guys, they should have like, Jesus raised someone from the dead? We should go and look at him. We should go and find him. We should go and talk to him. We should go and listen to him. This guy might be our Messiah. This guy might be a messenger of God. This guy might be the very thing that he claims to be. But instead of going out to see him, they plotted to kill him. You know why? 
because there was something that they were holding on to that they could not let go that forced them to resist. Everybody say resist. Right? They were resisting. In their heart of hearts, they're thinking, man, this could be it. This, this is legit. He brought a dude back. We should go out there and surrender. But instead of surrendering, they kept resisting. Why? Because there was something else that they were clinging on to. There was something else that they were holding on to. Okay? What was that? Go to John chapter 11. This is right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, verse 47. Um, we're going to start at verse 45. Let's start at verse 45. 45 to 48. The reason why they resisted. Look at this. Verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. What did Jesus do? He raised Mary's brother Lazarus up from the dead. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come, take away both our place, our temple, and our nation. What was it? In their hearts, I, I can bet you anything. In their hearts, they're hearing, they're hearing their, their people come, and they're like, dude, that Jesus guy, he raised Lazarus from the dead. We saw Lazarus come back. We were there mourning his burial. We saw his sisters put him into the tomb. We saw her sister wrap him up in the linens, the grave linens. We saw three days has passed away. And then when Jesus came, he said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead body was raised from the dead. And what did the Pharisees do? Did they say, whoa, let's go out and meet Jesus? No. They resisted. Do you know why? Because the cost was too high to surrender. They resisted because the cost was too high for them to surrender. In their hearts of hearts, they knew there was something special about Jesus. In their hearts of hearts, they knew that this Jesus was divine in some way. But they resisted because the cost was too high for them to surrender. So when you decide to follow Jesus, can I tell you something? When you decide to follow Jesus, decide to place him front and center, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. And the reason why, listen, the reason why Easter comes and goes for you, like just this day and it comes here and it's gone the next day, the reason why it comes and goes and you don't even blink an eye, you don't even think about it. Because there's something in your heart that you're resisting God for. When this season's supposed to come along and you recognize that the Son of God has risen from the dead, my life should change forever. My life should be in surrender. My life should give, should give everything and bow down before him. And yet I do not because I resist. And the reason why we resist, because the cost is too high to surrender, isn't it? What was their cost? They didn't want their temple to be taken away. If Jesus, was, if Jesus did this, crowds would gather, Romans would take notice, and guess what? They're going to come in and they're going to destroy everything. That's our cash cow. That's where our power lies. That's where our influence lies. I can't give that up. We can't give that up. Do you know how crazy it is? 
this group right here, the group was, in verse 47, the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin met together. These were three groups of Jewish leaders who hated each other. It's like the legislative, executive, and judicial branch of the United States of America, right? They hate each other. They can't get along with each other, and they cannot agree on anything together. But for some reason, these three groups, when they came to Jesus, they came and they agreed on one thing. If he continues, we lose this. We lose our point of power. We lose our place of influence. We lose our money. We lose our wealth. And so instead of surrendering to the very guy who raised dead men to life, they resist. Everyone said resist. Man. It's not us sometimes. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not you sometimes. That if Jesus is, I'm, I'm going to tell you this story, guys. If Jesus is who he says he is, then our actions should be surrender. Shouldn't it? If Jesus is who he says he is, if he came back from the dead, our actions should be surrender, but we resist. Why? Because there's something in your life, listen guys, there's something in your life that you deem a cost too high to surrender. I'll give you a basic example. One basic example is just going to church. You resist Sunday service. Why? Because it's Sunday. I have to show up to church on a Sunday. I mean, a weekend is only two days. And Sunday is a sleeping day, right? Or brunch. Everyone loves Sunday brunch. PT's message is like right between the brunch time, right? It's, I miss that. And if I show up to Sunday, if I show up to Sunday, I'm going to get like stalked by the Connect team, right? They're going to fire me and they say, please join this t- small group. Please join that small group. And then I'm going to feel guilty if I don't do anything. And they're going to ask me to join this service or go play some basketball afterwards. And if I don't do it, I'm going to feel guilty. And I have to give money. That's just way too much. The cost of my Sunday, but some of you guys are like, it's not me, but some of you guys, Sunday is a big thing for you guys. The cost of Sunday is too much, so I'd rather stay home. See, a lot of you guys, you're afraid of commitment. And so you'd rather, you'd rather be in the background rather than standing up and lead in the church. It's okay as I'm a passive member of the community. I don't need to step up and lead or serve in any way because the cost is too much. I want to resist. Instead of surrendering my life, my resource, my time, my energy to God, I choose to resist because I would have to give up my time, my resource, my energy to serve. It's going to be stressful. It's going to be thankless. The cost is too high. I like an even, low-key life. I don't want no pressure. I don't want no responsibility. And so the idea of surrender, the cost is too high. You guys follow? All right. Some of us put Jesus, some of us to put Jesus front and center, to put him front and center would mean it will cost us our relationship. It will cost us a relationship because all of a sudden we put Jesus front and center, now he's talking about the sacredness of marriage. The sacredness of the marriage bed, the sacredness of God in that. And I'd rather just enjoy my life as is, get what, get what come now, than think about that future cause or that future <sighs> commitment. And so instead of surrendering, we resist because the cost is too high now. That's why if you're single, right, you're thinking, man, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Can't I just date and get married and then do the whole Jesus thing? 
Right? Can't I just live my life and enjoy my singleness and do my thing? And then when I get married, right, then I do the whole Jesus thing. Because if I do it now, it's going to cost me something. When I do it now, it's going to cost me something. I might have to date a Christian, right? You know of any cute Christians that are out there, right? You guys are plenty cute. I'm just kidding, right? I'm just saying what you guys are thinking, right? It's going to cost you something. Front and center. See, Jesus raised a dead man to life. Jesus raised a dead man to life, and the Pharisees' reaction to that, the Jewish leaders' reaction to that, the teachers of the law, the ones who were supposed to guide the people, was to do what? Was to resist. Why? Because the cost of following this guy means what? They might have to give up their temple. They might have to give up their place of influence and power and resistance. They might have to give up their cash cow. And they couldn't let it go. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. See, this season, guys, as we're thinking about Easter, yes, follow me? As we're thinking about Easter this season, I don't want us to come into this this season. We we never actually practiced this whole season of Lent together before. First, I don't want to be disappointed if we started. But, you know, secondly, right, this, if you guys are doing it, if you're thinking about it, or if you actually haven't gone through it, this season, what I'm hoping, I'm praying as Easter comes along, is for you to reflect. If Jesus Christ actually came back from the dead, then why am I resisting him? Look at verse 49 and 50. Check what it says. This is when Caiaphas shows up right here. And then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You know why he said that? Because somewhere in that group of, of like, you know, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrins, they're thinking, maybe this guy is legit. Maybe we should listen to him. Maybe there's something, there's, there's pockets of voices. John knows this because John writes this gospel later, and these Pharisees, these people who came to faith, Later on, came and they told John these things. And so he begins to write these things down, and they were in there. And then Caiaphas stood up and says, stop talking. All you guys who are thinking that Jesus is somebody, stop talking. You know nothing at all because why? Look at verse 50. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Caiaphas is saying, don't be stupid. Don't be dumb. You're trying to lift up one dude? It's better for that guy to die so that we can still have what we have. It is better for that guy, Jesus, to die so that we can still preserve our way of life. Don't even think about surrendering to that. Resist. Why? Because the cost of giving this up, way too much. You're going to give this up? You're going to give this way of life up? You're going to give up this power, this influence? You're going to give up this money? You're going to give all this up for one guy who raised someone from the dead? Caiaphas. That's how he was going to resist Jesus. He was going to kill him. So did it work? Did it work? Look at verse 51 and 52. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. 
John, the writer of the gospel who wrote this and seen this, know the ultimate result of their resistance. Caiaphas wanted to resist, right? He wanted to resist. But do you know what the issue of resistance is? It ends up being futile anyways. Everybody say futile. See, man, resistance. We're thinking that if I can resist God because I don't want to surrender to God, if I resist God, I still get what I want. And John, who writes this so many years later, after all of history has passed, he writes this later. He realized all of them clinging to these things ends up being futile. As they resisted him, you guys realize, as they resisted him, what they ended up doing was facilitated what God was planning to do all along. They resisted Jesus Christ, thinking that they're going to get their own, and in resisting God, they facilitated the very will of God. Jesus Christ died, and his death brought forth the unity of his people, the gathering of all scattered souls. They, they resisted because they wanted their way of life preserved, but their resistance ended up being futile. That's why, listen, guys, at the end of your life, at the end of your life, your life, whether you resisted or you surrendered, your life will be an illustration before God. You guys realize that? Whether you resisted or you surrendered, you will be an illustration. If you said yes to God, you will be an illustration of surrender. But if you said no to God, you will be an illustration how futile your no was. You will be an illustration of how much you clung to your way of life so deeply and how it ended up still resulting in the glory of God and not your own. Because why? We were made for God's glory. You were not made for your own. Your life, whether you choose to follow or reject him, will ultimately be used by him for his glory. You guys get me? So you're, you're, whether you choose to resist or not, your life will be it's, the resistance is futile. See, they thought, oh, can you imagine John? Can you imagine John writing this so many years? John was the last living disciple of Jesus Christ, right? He was the last living disciple of Jesus Christ. And he's gone through the wars. He's gone through the persecution. He's gone through the pain. And he writes this. Can you imagine him laughing at this point as he writes this? Like, they thought they can take his life. They thought that they could actually take his life and keep their life. How cute. How cute. They thought they were in control. Oh, how cute. Right? How cute of these guys that they thought that they were the one who's going to receive glory. How cute. See, have you ever listened to, like, some of the youth kids talk? It's so cute when they talk, right? They're like, PT, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the NBA. Right? Man, that's cute. Right? Man, you, it's something called genetics. Right? Your mom's this tall, your dad's this tall, you will only be this tall, okay, man? I'm sorry. You know, you got to keep it real. I know some of you guys are like, don't, don't hinder his, you know, his future. Look, honestly, let's be real, okay? Let's be real, okay? Unless he's Muggsley Bowles. Even, even Muggsley is like my height, right? I mean, there's no, there's no hope, bro, right? Oh, man. Don't you think it's funny? Don't you think, listen, don't you think it's funny that when you start making decisions and you exclude the creator of the universe out of your decision... That you think that somehow, by resisting God, by actually excluding God from it, that you will be the master of your fate, right? You will, you will be the captain of your own soul. You will be the one of, the king of your domain. And you can you imagine God saying, that's cute. 
that's cute that you made all these decisions resisting me, thinking that you're going to get all these things, thinking that you're going to have all of this, thinking that you're going to, that you didn't want to surrender. You think that all of that was going to result in your glory. Your resistance is going to end up futile because in the last moment when you stand before God, your life will either be an illustration of surrender or an illustration of how futile your resistance was. Caiaphas. You want to know the story of Caiaphas? You, know, you want to know the story of Caiaphas' resistance? Let me, let me, let me tell you the end of his story because it's such a, such a broken story. Caiaphas. He knew he couldn't kill Jesus because the Roman law will never kill a man based off of a Jewish custom. They won't. So just because Jesus apparently blasphemed himself, Romans won't do it. So Caiaphas twisted and turned he manipulated and he said, no, 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 Jesus broke a Roman law. How? He called himself a king. And so Pontius said, okay. I mean, I don't think he really called himself a king, but I get what you're trying to get at here. I, I see how you're trying to twist this. I see how you're trying to make it so that we end up killing him anyways. The blood's on your hands. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And Caiaphas thought, yay. Yeah. Done. Finish. Way of life preserved. Everything good again. I resisted. Right? I didn't surrender. Just because he raised someone from the dead, right? Got all, everybody got all dramatic. Yo, he raised someone from the dead. We should just all bow down to him. Foolish. Caiaphas, I got this. Done. Three days later, he hears his servant running down the hall, going crazy. Caiaphas says, What's up? What happened? Dude. We can't find the body. Whose body? Jesus' body. Like, what happened? Did they steal it? We, no, we don't know where it is. Like, where's the guards? They don't know where it is. Like, weren't they guarding it? I thought so, right? But they don't know where the body is. It's missing. Caiaphas was like, what in the world? 40 days, 50 days pass. All of a sudden, all of Jesus' disciples who are in hiding all these days, they stepped out. Boom. Boldly now, actually. Ain't afraid of nothing. They stepped out and they said, yo, you crucified them. You crucified them. God raised them. We saw it. Say sorry. Right? That, was, that was the message. That was the basic message. You crucified them. God raised them. We saw it. You better say sorry. And so Caiaphas was like, what? And instead of, in his resistance, he thought he was going to squash that. But in his resistance, the futility of it brought what? Greater crowds. Now, not just hundreds, but tens of thousands gather. Not to see Jesus, but to gather in the name of Jesus. Tens of thousands gathered. And what Caiaphas sought to stop, he could not. His resistance was futile. And then Caiaphas, who loved his temple so much, who loved his cash cow so much, who loved that power and that influence so much, three decades later, Romans came in, wiped it from the face of the earth, destroyed it. The very thing that he resisted God for ended up being no longer even in existence. You guys follow me? You know what I'm trying to say here? 
that in this season, why are you resisting? In the season when you, when you should be looking towards Easter and realizing my God is alive. In the season when you should be looking towards Easter and realizing Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He's alive. Why am I resisting him rather than surrendering to him? And what we see from Caiaphas' life is what? This this bad boy of Easter. What do we see? We see a man whose life was resisting Jesus Christ ultimately end up being futile. It was futile. See, what does this have to do with me and you? Everything. Everything. Listen to me. It has to do with, to us with, this is so important for us to understand this because like Caiaphas, we want to preserve things, don't we? We want to preserve our way of life. Like Caiaphas, we want to preserve the, the things that we have control over. We want to preserve our reputation. And so we tell God, God, help me out. But if you're not going to help me out, get out of my way because I'd rather not surrender to you. I'd rather resist you if I can have this. We want to preserve that relationship that you know you should not be in, right? But it means everything to you right now. It's, it's the world to you, this relationship. You, you give anything for it. And so you tell God, God, help me out. Make it work. But if you're not going to make, make it work for me, I'm going to resist you. And I'm not going to surrender to you. I'm going to do my own thing because what is so important to me is that I still have this. Some of you guys would, would, would bend over backwards for a job you should not be in. Destroying your hours, taking up your weekends, taking up your fellowship, taking up your ability to have a community, taking up your ability to actually be with your wife and be with your family because you're constantly working. You're constantly in your job. You're constantly overtime. You're constantly busy. But you're telling God, would you make this work for me? If you're not, then get out of my way because I'd rather resist you because this is so important to me. You want to preserve your way of life. Look at Caiaphas. That's all I'm asking. Just look at Caiaphas. Jesus Christ raised a dead man back from the dead. And instead of surrendering, he chose to resist. Why? Because he'd rather preserve his way of life than the surrendering to Christ. And how futile, how futile, how futile was it for his life? How ridiculous. How, his act was so foolish. Because he lost everything. But listen, okay? I got one last point for you guys. I want you guys to listen to because it's the most important part, okay? Whatever you have replaced God with in your life, listen, okay? Whatever it is that you choose right now as you're reflecting upon Easter, the day when Jesus Christ and everything that he said he is came back from the dead, but you choose to resist him, because you don't want to surrender to him. Whatever it is that you choose to resist him for, whatever you have placed God as the center of your life, family, money, relationship, job, work, vanity, whatever it may be, can I tell you something? It's already diminishing in its value and its significance. It's already diminishing. It's already, it's already losing its value. How do I know that? How do I know that? I know this, right? Check this out. This is a, this is a great point. 
I was very proud of this point. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ gave me this point, okay? How do I know this? How do I know that it's already destroying you? Because think of your greatest regret. Some of you guys are, I don't have regrets because, you know, I learned from my regret. I am who I, whatever, okay? What, so you guys all have regrets, okay? All right? Think about your greatest regret. Your greatest regret came from your resistance to God. Is that, you, you chose to have that rather than to surrender. You resisted God. Think of your greatest regret from trying to preserve that. Now think of it, where is it now? Where is it now? Your greatest regret comes from trying to preserve something that's probably not in your life anymore. God, I want this person so badly in my life. I will do anything for them to be in my life. I'm resisting you. I am disobeying you. I am walking away from you. I'm doing whatever I can to resist you. Now what happened to that person? Your act of resistance ends up being totally futile. Isn't it futile, isn't it? That job that you would give your life for. Once you have it, you're probably moving on to another job by now that you, that you resisted God for. Whatever you have placed as the front and center of your life, can I tell you, it's already diminishing in its ability, its significance, and its value. It's already gone. Think of it. Just do a thought exercise for yourself. Think of what you have wanted so deeply, what you have kept holding on so much over the years that looking back, you kind of regret it so, so bad. And that thing that you, you wanted so bad, you resisted God left and right. You resisted the counsels of people. You resisted the word of the Lord. You resisted the leading of the Holy Spirit. You resisted every way and how which God was trying to speak into your life. You chose to resist and surrender. Now where is that thing in your life? It's gone. Because anything that is not God diminishes in value. Anything that is not God disappears, loses its significance, and is gone. Saying yes to God will cost you, period, right? Saying yes to God will cost you. Saying no to God will cost you. But saying no to God will cost you, and you end up losing whatever it was that you placed in position of God to do anyways. Right, C.S. Lewis said what? Aim at heaven and you get earth. Aim at earth and you get nothing. And so we see this so beautifully and so profoundly in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus Christ sat down before the rock and he prayed before God. He said, God, take this from me. I don't want it. Please. But I'm going to say yes to you anyway. My heart, I don't want it, but I'm going to say yes to you anyway. I'm going to say yes. Even though it's going to cost me my life. Even though it's going to cost me eternal separation. I have never had eternal separation with you, Father. Throughout all of eternity, you and I, we have been like this. I can I'm going to experience the worst breakup anyone's ever, ever had in my life. For all eternity, it's a cosmic breakup. I cannot even imagine that or fathom that. But I will say yes, even if it costs me something. Because why? When you say yes, 
when you say yes and surrender, the result is always glory. Listen, when you say yes and surrender, the result is glory. Because when Jesus said yes, I will die, what was the result? You. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he took the cross. And the joy was you. He saw you coming to the Father and he said yes. He didn't resist the Father. He said yes. But the cost of saying no, of resisting, one, your resistance ultimately becomes futile. It does. Look at the life of Caiaphas. It does. And secondly, the very thing that you resist God for, in a few years, you're on to the next thing. You, don't, you no longer even have that. It ends up empty. So church, my prayer is this, okay? Just like any of our Christian holidays, it's not just a day that we kind of come and go. Easter is a day when you begin to once again think, if Jesus Christ came back from the dead, why is my life not surrendering to him? And it's a time for you to reflect because you have to reflect because something in your heart is resisting. Whatever it is, you are resist, you are holding on to it in place of God. And you're thinking, I can just have it. It will be great. But God says in the end, your resistance is futile. You're not even going to have it for that long. It's already lost its value. And you lose everything. So instead of saying no, instead of resisting, for the next few weeks as you begin to meditate and actually reflect on the fact that Jesus Christ is alive, that there's no one in history that came back from the dead. That there is a man who says that I am God actually died and came back to life. That this person has a, wants a relationship with you, calling for a relationship with you, and is calling you to say yes. Stop resisting.